0: Hey there everyone, wherever you're listening to this from or watching this message from, I hope that life is treating you really great right now. We here at Liverpool One Church, we've started a brand new series called 2020 Vision. And I guess that over the duration of three to four weeks, we're asking three really specific questions because practically this can really pay dividends in our life if we can actually figure out the answers to these. Firstly, we wanna know how do you actually read the Bible? What does that actually look like? Secondly, how do we pray to God? Because I get it, we've all got our different and varied ideas about how we should pray, but what does Jesus say about that? I mean, is he not the one that we should go to to try and understand exactly how we're intentionally supposed to relate to the Father? And then thirdly and finally, we're asking the question, how to be a Christian? Meaning, what does it look like to be a Christian in your day-in, day-out life? Not only when you're in church, but when you're in the workplace too. So kick back and relax and enjoy this current series of talks.
1: What does it look like for us to have 2020 vision in our lives? And we talked about looking ahead with clarity. What we do day in, day out, the choices we make, the decisions that we choose, being clear on what we do and why we do it. And we decided that we were going to go right back to basics in this series because we can get so carried away in a 21st century church with all the hype and the activity that we can forget the fundamental basics of what it is to be a follower of Christ. And so at the beginning of the year, we took it right back to how do I read my Bible? And then last week, Luke spoke to... Didn't he do a fantastic message last week? Has that been helpful this week? And he spoke to us on prayer. And what Jesus had to say about prayer against what we say in our 21st century culture about how to pray. Well, what I want to talk to you today is the second part of that message on prayer. And if you didn't get to listen to last week's message... Please, can I encourage you, go and find it on YouTube, find it on on, on the podcast, find it and listen to it because it is the prequel to everything that I'm going to talk about today. I want to show you what Jesus said about pray in the day that we live in, because you know in this day and age that we live in, we stop for nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. We get everything to go whilst we're on the go. We get our coffee to go on the go. We get our food to go on the, foo- uh, on the go. Everything is on the go. Even with our handheld devices now, we can shop while we're on the go. In fact, because of the portable devices that we have, we can connect and we can call and we can relate and we can make and we can phone a friend, chat to a mate, and we can even make a date whilst we're on the go. You don't have to press pause in your life. You don't have to stop and sit down for a moment. You can do everything on the go. You no longer have to be confined to an office space or a desk to work, to budget or plan. You can do all of that whilst you're on the go. And whilst that may have made our lives a lot more convenient, it has made us more busy and more stressed than mankind has ever been before. And what we fail to realize is that actually we are human beings. And we have been created in a way where we need to rest. And we need to understand what rest is. Our bodies were created in a way, and God wired our DNA to be such a way that we need to know the art of patience. And we're fast losing the art of patience. We were designed and wired to be a relational people, and now because I can look at your life on the gram, I no longer feel I need to be in relationship with you, and so we are losing the art of relationship. You know, we have some rules in our house, as you do in your house, I'm sure. But the rules in our house are, when you come in, you shout hi to everybody in the house. And when you leave the house, you shout goodbye to everybody in the house, and when you make a drink, you do not just make a drink for yourself, but you ask everybody else in the house, would they like a drink also? And when I make a meal, we sit down together and we eat that meal with no devices at the table. You see, we are a family of five, and I am fast learning as my children have grown up that we could so easily dwell together in the one house but lose contact with each other relationally. Very easy. It would be very easy for me to only ever speak to you when I need something from you. And sadly for so many of others, that is our relationship with God and that is what our prayer life looks like. The only time I'm going to pray and the only time that I'm actually going to connect with God is when I need something from Him. We've all grown up knowing about religion and rules. So we know that we ought to pray, but very few of us have an understanding of what relationship really is. And, and, and we think that somehow, um, when we come to church on a Sunday, it's a little bit like, you know if you ever flicked through somebody's Instagram page and you get an insight into their life and you think you know them, then you have you ever met them in person and then you've just gone over to them all super confident but actually you've never really met them because you don't really know them but because you follow them on Instagram you really think you have a relationship with them and it can be like that when we come to church on a Sunday because when you come into the house of God you get an insight into what it is to have an authentic real relationship with a true and living God but it doesn't mean you have one just because you're here Okay, And so we have a responsibility to develop and grow and cultivate our own relationship with God. And having a prayer life like Luke taught us last week is the start of a wonderful, supernatural relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. Yes, we can talk to God on the go. We can all talk to God on the go. Don't ever stop talking to God while you're going about your everyday life. But Luke taught us last week there is so much pr- more to prayer than just speaking to God on the go. My kids talk to me all the time. They never shut up. But, and I hear everything they say. But when one of them says, Mom, can we talk? Then he has my undivided attention. Because then I know he wants my advice. He wants my wisdom. He has something going on in his world where he wants my counsel and my voice and my opinion. And so in that moment when he says, Mom, can we stop? Can we talk? He has my undivided attention. And so it is with prayer. When we looked at Matthew 6 last week, It was the disciples having a conversation with Jesus. And what you've got to know about the disciples is they were good Jewish boys. They'd been raised up in and around religion. Prayer was part of their daily life. It was part of their routine. But what they realized when they hung around with Jesus is actually the way you pray, Jesus, is different to the way that we pray. Actually, Jesus, when you pray, you get results. It's like you pray to a God that you almost seem to know. Like when you pray, Jesus, miracles happen. When you pray, Jesus, things happen. Jesus, could you teach us to pray like you pray? Because we've been praying every day of our lives and nothing has changed. So Jesus was like, sure. Sure. And so Luke went through this with us last week, and he said to them, you know, be sincere, don't be loud, don't be praying in public when all you want is accolades and people to say, wow, how clever are you? How well do you know your Bible? All those big words, well done. He said, don't pray like that. But when you pray, go into a room and close the door. That's a metaphor, by the way, for just get on your own, be on your own with God. Just find a quiet space. In a room, close the door. Go for a walk. Go up a mountain like Jesus said. Do whatever you have to do. But it's between you and him. It's not for public display. It's between you and him. When you pray, don't feel you have the need to impress God. Because he knows you. And he knows what's going to come out of your mouth before you've even said one single word. So don't have the need. Just be authentic and be you. So although we can speak to God on the go... There is so much more to prayer than praying for a parking space driving around as the car park. There's more to prayer than praying that you can get through that test that day. There is more to prayer than just praying over your empty petrol tank in the morning that the car will get you to work because you've got no money to put petrol in the car, so I'm just going to pray in faith over the car. You've all done it. There is more to pray. You can generally talk to God all day, every day. But then there's prayer. I mean real, authentic prayer. When you go into a room and you set time aside and I am going to seek you, God, with all of my being. I need answers and I need wisdom and I'm going to find a quiet place. And I am that kind of prayer when you can tangibly feel the presence of God. The type of prayer where you're too frightened to open your eyes in case he's there in person. That type of prayer. I grew up with a praying mom. And um, when you girls, those of you who are parents, it is important to pray. And those of you that are going to be parents, get prayer into your life. It was a common sight for me to walk into the living room as a little girl and see my mom on her knees, praying out loud to God. That just became common in our household. And I have seen what prayer can do in one person's life. I remember um, one time walking into the living room and she's on her knees in prayer. She's looking at me like, what are you going to say? And um, she would have her choruses on um, cassette tape. And if you're under 30, you won't even know what a cassette tape is. But she recorded her choruses onto a cassette tape. And she would have my dad's can earphones on, not the trendy cans that we have today. These were like two black tires on the side of her head. They were huge. And they had a big curly black wire coming out of them, plugged into the then hi-fi system. And she would have her choruses on so loud. And she'd just be on her knees and she'd be praying out loud because she'd forget that we could all hear what was coming out of her mouth because she was just lost in this noise of music. And I remember one day as a, as a young girl and going into the lounge, and I, I don't know, I was hungry. I needed something. I'm like, mum, mum. And she's like, yes, Lord. And she's on her knees. And now I'm like, mum. And she can't hear me. And she's going, just one touch from you, Jesus. And I couldn't get her attention. So I went over and got hold of her hand. And I kid you not, she near went through the ceiling. She screamed. She fell flat. She thought the second coming had come. The rapture was here. He was taking her home. And I was just like, can I have a sandwich? I was like, why Why do you pray for him to touch you if you're going to freak out like that when he touches you? But it was a good sight to see. But so many of us, we use prayer as a last-ditch resort. We say, I've tried everything. The only thing I can do now is pray like it's the last ditch attempt. Prayer should be your first port of call. Before you phone a friend, before you stick it on the ground, before you consult Google, go to your Father God. Prayer is a privilege and it is powerful that we can speak freely to God Almighty. Some people will go through their entire life Praying out of religious behaviour and miss out on the power that prayer can actually have in your life. And so, after Jesus had told the disciples how not to pray, he then went on and told them how to pray. And so we're going to look at the second part of Matthew 6. He said, This then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. This then, when you've gone and found a quiet space, when you've gone into the room and closed the door, this then, regardless of your past, this then, It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how intellectual you are or how clever or how many words you can speak. This then, when you've gone and found a space, he says, this then is how you ought to pray. And what he gave us next is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and all the rest of it. And that's what he gave us. But what we have done throughout history is we have taken what Jesus was giving to the disciples is a pattern and a formula, and we've made that the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is not a prayer. It is a pattern. My mom, who I seem to be daubing in a lot on today, is actually a dressmaker. And I have watched her over the years, creating, making many garments. And what she does is she takes a pattern, and she pins the pattern to the fabric. And from then, she follows the procedure until she produces a garment. The pattern tells her what she needs to cut and where she needs to cut it. The pattern tells her at what point to stitch what piece of material. The pattern tells her what order that the material ought to be sewn together. What, she, what would be really foolish is for her to stick the pattern on the garment and then just try and wear it and just like, hey, look what I've created, would all be like, well, that's no good, is it? And so she follows the principles of the pattern. But what she does in her following of the principles is she labors over it, she spends time on it, and she adds her creativity to it and when she spent time on it and when she's labored over it and when she's followed its principles eventually she brings forth a garment that was only once held in her mind what she could only have imagined she now is able to wear the point is this the Lord's prayer is not there for you and I to memorize this is where religion has got it wrong What Jesus was saying to the disciples is when you pray, pray in this way. He did not say, pray these words. He said, pray in this way. And what he does is he gives us the important elements of what we ought to talk to God about and the order that we ought to talk to God in. Because there is an order, there is a formula, there is a principle, and there is a pattern. So he says, the first thing that you ought to do is declare God's greatness. Go into the room, close the door. The first thing you do is declare God's greatness. And it sounds something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, he says, just remember who it is you're talking to. God is your father. He loves you. He wants you to call him father because he doesn't want to be a God who's far off. He wants you to understand he's in relationship with you. He wants closeness. And I know not everybody has had a great experience of an earthly father, but I want to put this out there God is a good God. He is a father who loves you and deeply cares about you, and he wants to be in tight relationship with you hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed means holy. Jesus was saying, you need to just remember who you're talking to. He's a holy God. And we can become so complacent and so flippant, you know, a a chicken nugget here and a quick prayer there and we're all good. No, 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 no. You got to remember he's a holy God and you got to know who you're talking to. And Jesus said to the disciples here, hey, listen, no matter how desperate things are in your life, And no matter how bad your situation is, and no matter what it is you need from God, don't you start your prayer with you. You start your prayer with Him every time. Declare His goodness. Declare His greatness. Does He need to be told that? No. But He wants you to remember every single time who it is and why it is you're addressing him. God, your name is great. I thank you, Lord, that you're a holy God, that you're higher than any problem, that your name is great, your name is powerful, your name is trustworthy, your name is higher than any other name, your name is higher than the situation I'm about to pray about, your name is greater than the problem that is going on in my world right now. I'm remembering who you are. And every time you spend the first few minutes of your prayer life, focusing on the greatness of who he is. It reminds you of who it is that you are praying for. And when you don't do that in the first few minutes of your prayer, what you do is prioritize your problem. And you prioritize your need. We need to remember first the greatness of who he is. And you can always tell what you prioritize most by what comes out of your mouth first. Do you pray, God, you're a good God, you're a holy God, your ways are powerful, your ways are just, your ways are true, you are nation-shaking, game-changing, God, and I love you, or does your prayer start something like this, oh, Lord, God, I've got a test today, and I really need to get through this test, so if you could make that happen, amen. Oh, God, you know I've got a job interview today. And I really need a job. So if you could make that possible, make them like me. Amen. What does your prayer start with? You see, the more you spend time, recognizing and acknowledging who it is you're talking to, right placing God, you begin to develop a relationship with the Father God. And the more you develop a relationship with the Father God, the more confidence you have that he can actually do what you're asking him to do. You see, when you don't have a relationship with God, you pray your prayers of many words and go right back to worrying when you open your eyes. Because actually, you know it's sort of the right thing to pray, but you don't actually believe that he can do that which you've just asked him to do. So you spend time speaking about the goodness of God and reminding yourself just of who he is. Okay, this next one that Jesus spoke to the disciples about, this is a pinch. This is an out moment. And um, this is one of those things that we all think we do, but very few of us do it. And actually, if you say you do it, you probably do. You probably say it with your words. But not many of us are able to live it out with our lives because it's actually not easy what Jesus said to them next. In verse 10, he said these words. And by the way, if you can learn to pray like this, it is a game changer for your life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, your will be done. I've got all my agendas and I've got all my ideas, but I lay my life down. God, your will be done in my life. You know, I pray to God, but at the same time I'm praying to God, I think I know what I want and I think I know what I need and I think I ought to tell him how he should give that to me as well. Each and every one of us has a mini control freak inside of us, whether you recognize that or not, you do. You do because we think we're coming before God in prayer, and we think that we're calling upon his name, and we think that we're seeking out his wisdom, but actually we're dialing up and placing an order. We're saying, hey God, you know what? This is what I need, um, and this is how you ought to give it me, and, um, and this is when I want it by. But the word of God trust t- teaches us, Jesus was saying, you need to trust and obey his will for your life, and not your will for your life. Let me put it to you like this. Last summer, Luke and I had a week in New York. And um, we went there and we met up with some friends of ours, some dear friends of ours who live out in Denver, Colorado. Now, they go to New York all the time. They go there a lot. They know the city really, really well. So by the time Luke and I turned up, they had a full-on agenda planned out. They knew the best restaurants to eat in, the best places to visit. You need to go here. We don't want to go and see there. They knew how to get around that city. Like, we didn't have to think about anything. They were like, no, we use this taxi and we get from A to B this way. They were like, you you know, you don't want to go up the Empire State Building. We'll go up the Rockefeller Tower because then you're right opposite the Empire State. You get a much better view. If we go in Central Park through this entrance, and meander our way through and we exit Central Park. We'll be right by Trump Tower and Tiffany's. They knew everything. So we were at the mercy of what they said was best to do, the best shows to go and see, the whole lot. They had it all figured out. So Luke and I just trusted their decision because they go to the city often and they know the city really well. What would have been really foolish is for Luke and I to say, actually... We'd like to figure this out on our own. Actually, we would like to just try and get ourselves around the city. How much time out of one week would we have wasted trying to decide where to eat, trying to decide if we were taking the right route or not taking the right route? And so, you know, we have this. um, It would have been really foolish. But this is something that I feel like I say all the time. In fact, this week... (laughs) I said to God, I'm not saying that again. Because I feel like every time I get up to speak at the moment, I'm saying the same thing. And I felt like God had to remind me, that's because they're not your words, Emma, they're my words. And sometimes you need to repeat yourself to your children over and over again until they get it. And that's what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to use this phrase that I say all the time. God's been to the end of your life and back again. He knew you before he formed you in the mother's womb. He has a plan mapped out. God's in your tomorrow, you're not. So why would you trust your own instinct or Google or your friend who's not been to the end of your life and back. He knows what's coming up in tomorrow. He knows what next day brings. He knows the struggles you're going to be facing this time next year. And he has a plan and a map and the perfect route to get you from A to B and get you through your life. So he says, pray according to my will. Trust what I have planned for your life because I've seen the whole thing and you have not. When you pray, God has a plan mapped out for your marriage. He has a plan for your career. He has a plan for your relationship. He has a plan for your children. He has a plan for your finances. And all you have to do is daily be able to say, not my will, but your will, God. I'm going to give that relationship to you, and I'm going to trust your leading on it, oh God. I'm going to trust you with my finances, because God is a good God. And when you pray to God, it's not so you can ask Him what you want and Tell him what you need. It's so that you can align yourself with his will for your life. His kingdom come, not your kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will be done. On earth, in my world, in this time, as it is in heaven. And when you understand that God has a plan and a purpose mapped out for your life, you will begin to understand that all your wants All your needs and all your desires are found in him. He knows what you want. You need a new hat. He wants you to have a new hat. But he says, I'm not going to withhold from you. I want to bless you. But I just want to know that I take priority in your life. It's so easy to say. It's not so easy to do. It's easy to pray the words. It's not actually easy to live out. And in fact... As you get older, it gets much harder to pray that prayer because you have a lot more in your life that you have to trust God for. It's easy to trust God when you're young and you don't have all too much to trust him with, but as you get older, you have a, um, a spouse and you have children and you have a mortgage and you have finances and all of a sudden, so those of you who are younger, I'm encouraging you now, trust God with your everything. It's so much easier to trust God when you're 16, 17, and you've got a Saturday job, you trust God with all that I have, all my £8.50. I trust you, God. But if you can't trust God with your £8.50 and your Saturday job, you'll never trust Him when you've got a career and you've got money in the bank. So we have to learn to be able to trust God. It's difficult to live out. But this is what I've learned. I've learned that at any time that... I struggle to trust God with something. If there's an area of my life that I've really struggled to hand over to God, I've realized that I have a wrong perspective on who he is. Whether that be a relationship, whether that be money, whatever it is, if I can't trust God 100%, then I've realized I've got a wrong perspective of who he is. Let me give you an example of what, God, uh, what wrong perspective looks like. Okay, so I don't know anything about photography, by the way, but I do know this, that's a wrong perspective. Because I know the reality is the man is really big and the Coke bottle is really small next to the man. But what has happened is, I presume, they've brought the Coke bottle really far forward and put that in the main focus, and the man is really far back, and then you get a wrong perspective. And this is what happens to us. When we have a perspective that is not accurate, we prioritize our things, whether it be our health, whether it be our relationship, whether it be our finances, it's all at the forefront of our mind till it becomes so big and God is the little person right in the background. And God says, no, 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 you need to get an accurate shift. And you need to remind yourself of who I am. Because here's the thing, the truth is that, 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 you know, if we don't get a right perspective on God, then we underestimate his power. Because what you don't understand about God is so big, so great, so mighty, that he could at will take from you what you're withholding from him in an instant. And the fact that he doesn't is testimony to His grace and His patience towards each and every one of you. But the truth is, God doesn't actually want what you have. What does God want your relationship for? If you don't want to live with Him, why does God want to live with Him? You know, God doesn't want your finances. He owns the entire universe. He doesn't need your money. God doesn't want what you have. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to prioritize him over all that he has. You know, one of my husband's favorite chocolates is Rolos. Loves Rolos. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were sat on the couch watching Netflix, and I remember remembered that I'd hidden a packet of Rolos, because we're the house that hides the food, remember? And so I went and found these Rolos, and I brought them to him. His face lit up. And... Uh, yeah, it doesn't take much, 15 years of marriage, he's happy with the rollers. And so anyway, he's, he's, I gave him the rollers and he's eating away at the rollers and I'm curled up to him next to him on the couch and I watched him eat one after the other, after the other, after the other. I mean, I'm like this and he just devoured them. So the last one had gone and I said, Luke, you never even gave me one, like not one to which he thought was hysterical. And he said, "Uh, I was just enjoying, I was just busy enjoying what you gave me. I forgot you were even there. (laughs) Like I said, nearly 16 years of marriage. But do you know what? In the same way, we can get so busy spending our money, building our career, pursuing our girlfriend, that we forget if he had not graced us with breath in our body today, if he had not given us the intelligent brains in our head to creatively generate work, if he had not given us the ability to love and be loved, we would have none of it. Absolutely none of it. God doesn't want this stuff. I didn't want a rollo anyway. I just wanted to know that I was more important to him than the thing He I gave him. And it's the same with God. He's like, I just want to know that I hold center stage of your life and that I am priority in your world over all that I have blessed you with and over all that I have given to you. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Learn to pray from the desires of his heart. Not my will, but yours. Everything I am, everything that I have, I surrender to your lordship and to your authority and governance over This third thing that Jesus said to the disciples was, give us this day our daily bread. As soon as he said that, the disciples would have had imagery come to mind of their ancestors who lived in the desert. And they lived in tents in the deserts for over 40 years. And whatever morning when they would come out of their tent, there was this like bread-like substance on the ground called manna. And it was how God fed them supernaturally when they felt they had nothing. They were in a wilderness and a barren place. God made provision for them. He sent manna down from heaven. Now, what would happen is every single tent had an allocated uh, amount of manna. If there was two people living in that tent, there was on the ground for them enough for two people. If there was 5 people living in this tent there would have been enough manna on the ground for 5 people. And God said to them, read it in the book of Exodus, don't take more than is necessary. Take what you need for today because tomorrow I'll provide again. God knows what you need for today. He knows this day. He knows what strength you need. He knows what wisdom you need. He knows what faith you're going to need. He knows what courage you're going to need today. Ask God to give you his daily bread. Ask God to sustain you with what you need today. Because remember, when you wake up of a morning, he's already got to the end of your day. So he knows what you need. So you need to ask him, give me what I need today. And here's the thing, God doesn't give you everything you want. He doesn't give you everything you ask for, and he certainly doesn't give you everything for tomorrow. He said, ask me today for your daily bread. You see, here's the thing back in the book of Exodus. Each um, Israelite household or tent was told to take a quota for the day, just enough manna for today. But there's an account of people where they got greedy. That would be the Bryant family's tent, where they panicked and thought there might not be any food tomorrow. So they took it and hid the food, like the Bryant household does. And so there's an account, and they took more manna than was allocated to them. And this is what the Bible tells us, that in the night, the worm and the maggot got into the bread and ate the bread, and the bread decayed. You know, when you pray to God one day and then don't bother for two days, and then you pray to him another day, and then you don't bother for three or four days, the worm of negativity gets in. The maggot of despair gets in, the worm of loneliness, the worm of disbelief, the maggot of insecurity, and it will eat away at your faith life until there is nothing left. You need to come to God daily and ask him to give you today what I need today. The fourth thing he says is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm going to race through this last part now. Every day, there is something that I have to ask God to forgive me for every single day. And that's just your pastor. And so, you know, every day I see something I shouldn't. Every day I think things that I shouldn't. Every day I get angry or I feel insecure or I give myself over to worry. So every day I'm having to bring my character in line with God and ask for his forgiveness and ask that by his grace, he won't hold it against me. And the Bible says that when I confess my wrongdoings to him, he chooses to remember it no more. That's different, by the way, than he just forgets. Because God does not have amnesia. He actually forgets nothing but when it comes to the sin in your life once you've confessed it to him he chooses to remember it no more and yet we are so quick to highlight the wrong in somebody else's life if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me do you know what he's done? do you know what she did? do you know what they said? we would be a rich church seriously we think we get to play God in other people's lives and highlight their wrongs and highlight their shortcomings. Only when we're trying to play God, we forget the grace bit. And God said, you want me to forgive you? You want me to bless your life? then you're going to have to start walking in forgiveness to the person who's offended you and the person who has hurt you. And that is not easy to do, especially in the church. But even Peter himself, a little further on after Jesus had already taught this in Matthew 18, Peter said, "Um, I hate Jesus. Um, Like, you know, when somebody gets on your nerves, like somebody does something wrong and you've told them not to do it and they do it again, how many times should you forgive them? should it be seven times and I can just imagine Jesus with this like smirk on his face like what seven times are you messing try 70 times seven he wasn't giving Peter a number he wasn't giving Peter a figure he wasn't saying you need to forgive someone 490 times what he was saying was you need to just keep on forgiving indefinitely You can't put a time frame on the length of time you choose to walk in forgiveness. You keep on being graceful to one another because if you're not graceful to one another, you cannot expect God to be gracious unto you. Get your eyes off what everybody else is doing. Get your eyes off their sin issue and get before God and find your grace because God wants to bless your life. And the last thing he said, number five, he said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is me asking God to protect me. I'm asking you, God, for my protection. Protect me against everything that would come against my life. Protect my thoughts. Protect my mind from the crazy racing thoughts. Protect my mindset. Protect my marriage, God. Protect my family. Protect my kids every day. Ask us for protection. God, I'm so dependent on you for protection and deliverance, Lord God, from everything that would seek to harm me and come against me. And then do you know what? The prayer just ends there. Literally, the prayer just ends there. There's nothing more to it. But we grew up knowing another part of the prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever, amen. You know the song? It just like sounds good at the end of the song. But that... Actually, Jesus never even said that whole sentence. In fact, the ancient manuscripts that were found back in 1611, I think it was, they were used to write the whole of the New King, uh, the King James Bible, the original King James Bible. And um, so the King James Bible was printed to what we have today. But then years later, Even more ancient manuscripts that dated even further back were discovered. And the way that God, Jesus, had taught on prayer, that last few lines wasn't even in there. He never even said it. I think somebody's just gone, you know, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. I don't think that's a good way to end a prayer. So let's up it a little bit you know, we use it in our schools and at funerals and at weddings, don't we? And it, it doesn't sound too well, does it? Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. You might now kiss the bride. And so somebody has thought, why don't we end it the way it started? Just giving him glory, reminding ourselves of who he is speaking to. So that's just a bit of history, but that's not even in there. But the point is this. Jesus was making, when you pray to God, it's not about the length of your prayer. It's not about your many words. It's about the order you pray. It's about the pattern that you pray. It's about speaking to God in a way where you get his undivided attention. It's about reminding yourself on who it is you're speaking to. It is about reminding yourself of the glory and the power and the privilege that we have to come to God in prayer. And then surrender all that you are to all that he is. Not my will, God, but your will. And God knows that is a difficult thing to do. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane struggled to do the will of God. But pray on it, stay on it, and let God help you through those difficult times. And then, declare your dependence on him. Lord, I need you. I need your protection. I need your forgiveness. I need your deliverance. I need your hands on my marriage. I need your hand on my life. I need your hand on the decisions that I'm about to make. God, I look to you. Let's all
0: stand. You know, I really hope and pray that that message spoke to you and you were able to really get something out of that. If you come to Liverpool One Church, why don't you check out YouTube for more similar content or find us out across all of our social media platforms at Liverpool One Church. Or maybe even if you've only ever watched us online before, or maybe even out of town and out of area, why not come and visit us in person? Because we would absolutely love to welcome you to be part of the family right here at Liverpool One Church. Have a great week.